This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Khan, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Brian Yazzie. Brian comes from the Navajo Nation, where the COVID-19 infection rate is now the highest per capita in the country. Hear Brian's plan to return abundance to the Arizona community where he grew up, and how he's currently feeding Native American elders in the Twin Cities. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Brian. I'm very interested in in your story and everything you've been up to during this pandemic. It's a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. You're you're a traveling chef. You do uh, demonstrations and create content uh, surrounding you know Native American foodways all over the country. I know right from the onset, all of your engagements for the month of uh, March, April, and now I would imagine May have been have been canceled. So tell me about where you were supposed to go, and then um, how you rerouted your plans to help your community. Sure. Just to give it uh, a bit of a view, I had about seventeen. A pro- projects lined up from now till July, you know, or from uh, from February till July, you know, and and about ninety percent of those projects were um, Native organizations, you know, um, providing cooking classes or chef demos with the um, the local tribal community and even the casino cooks and chefs as well who would like to learn more about not just traditional but indigenous food in general across the across North America, you know. So um, yeah, that was a couple projects I had lined up, you know, and with the pandemic happening, it was um, a total halt. You know, I, I had to readjust myself and adapt to um, different means of um, providing funds for our being financially stable within, within this time period, you know, and also helping the community as much as I can, you know, connecting with um, organizations who are able to support those, some of the projects that I'm a part of, you know, so just being active, you know, as much as possible, trying to stay healthy as well. Tell me where you were supposed to go and, and what that kind of meant to the momentum you were building in your career. Yeah, so besides um, catering and, and, um, and teaching and um, connecting with tribal communities, you know, I, um, I'm also looking to the, um, the so-called mainstream area, as in um, connecting with um, Caucasian cooks and chefs, you know, just all type of cuisines across the world, you know, and um, I was part of one of the... Um, chef events that's going to be happening in Nashville, you know, that, that was um, a couple of weeks ago. That's one of the, the major projects that I was a part of so far this year, you know, being on a national stage with a lot of celebrity chefs and given that time and space to help share the original cuisine of North America, you know, that has been um, overshadowed by, you know, a Western perspective of what American food is, you know. So that was one of the projects I was looking forward to, to try and bring awareness to what, you know, what I am a part of. What kinds of things do you teach? I'm going to echo what a lot of chefs and cooks have been saying recently, and that is just um, returning to your landscape, you know, knowing what your edible landscapes are, you know, regardless of where you're at, you're on indigenous land in North America, you know, and there's certain regions have their own type of corn, bean and squash, you know, and different regions have their own type of a wild um, game, you know, even traditional food as well, you know, uh, huckleberry or um, gooseberries, you know, um, choke cherries, you know, for example. You know, so definitely just learning the in and outs of that. I've, I've heard you refer to yourself as a seed carrier, and I'm hoping you can help me unpack that term and tell me what it means to, to you and to the Navajo people where you come from. Yeah, so 
since 2015, I have been to um, over a dozen uh, food summits across the U.S. focused on um, uh, tribal communities, you know, and, and connecting with a lot of uh, seed savers and seed keepers or um, or, or uh, farmers, you know, l- learning about uh, traditional seeds and where they originated from, you know, learning the difference between flint, uh, flour, and hominy corn, you know, just the basics. And knowing that there's over 560 tribes in the U.S. alone, and like I said, each tribe has at least a variety of um, corn, bean, or squash, you know, just nailing that down and researching that and collecting those seeds, you know, and not giving it out um, um, upon purpose, but, you know, holding on to um, the seeds where I can start my own garden or program back in my hometown. And tell me about your hometown. Tell me about where you come from, because I know it's in an area of the country that's been hit especially hard by COVID-19 um, at one of the highest, I think the highest rate in the country. Yeah, for sure. Navajo Nation is about less than um, 40% of um, um, the state of Arizona, you know, and the hits, the total hits and, and deaths that we got is, you know, cumulative to three states in, in general, you know, and for me, coming from the Navajo Nation and residing here in the Twin Cities, you know, it, it is hard to try and help um, my community and the Navajo Nation in general. But to, to start with the smaller scale, I connected with a couple of uh, community members where we could start a GoFundMe page and a, a campaign page on Facebook, you know, to help bring in not just donations, but support of receiving masks and um, hand sanitizers and hygiene products, you know, just the basics for sure but also receiving funds to help cover some of the, um, the, the, the food staples you know, that we can provide to the community. And we're not just looking at the, um, of what we can provide for the next two weeks. You know, we're looking at what we can do in the long run, as in starting to include seed, seed packets, you know, having communities and having families start their own garden. You know, this is beyond the term um, the victory garden. You know, it's something that we have always done. You know, we just need to get back to it. You know, before it was it a food desert, before... Um, uh, before 1850s, 1840s, before um, colonization, you know, we had abundance of um, uh, wild games. We had abundance of um, livestock, you know, and the river was flowing, you know. And so, especially in the Southwest, there in the way the, or the, the, the long walk, you know, majority of the Navajo community members um, surrendered for about four to five years, you know, in, into uh, Fort Sumner, you know. But that only happened because of the... Um, of the soldiers in the army, you know, they, 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 this forest area, they, um, they took the livestock, they burned the crops, you know, that was a way for them to, to, to win that battle, you know, and if that didn't happen, you know, it could have kept going on, you know, but that was their way of, of winning that battle and within that period, you know, and that's where food desert came about because we're slowly coming back to, um, our, our natural, our, our natural, um, ancestral roots, you know, so it's definitely, um, years, you know, but it's something that we have been working towards to do, you know, so no, we're not definitely food deserts, just that our food was taken away. And now we're, we're learning different ways to bring that back for sure. What does it take uh, financially to, you know, get a, a serious crop up and running in, in the Navajo Nation? What is it going to take donation wise? What is it going to take manpower wise to really do this? For sure. I mean, it's just the basics of it. It's anywhere between four to five um, thousand on a just just to be realistic, you know, providing um, 
50 gallon barrels of you know, water barrels, you know, and providing um, hose and these type of landscape that people would need for farming. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it is in a desert area and some of the um, ingredients that, you know, we will be providing are not, are not um, native to those land, but they can be adaptable. You know, so just teaching these different ways of how to, how to nourish your landscape before you start planting or before you start farming, you know, and connecting with the local um, community members who are farmers. You know, so definitely that's one of our goals. But right now, you know, we're building up to that and starting short term as in providing um, food supplies and necessities, you know. And once we start growing more, you know, it's just looking at the long run and see what we can do for our community, even though we're um, far from from um, the chaos that's happening. I I hear in your tone a measure of optimism. So I want to play on that a little bit. Say the money comes and say the farms are built and say the crops are growing. And let's say in five years, you know, you and I are standing in Denahoto, Arizona on, on, you know, native land. What do you see? What does it look like to you? What crops are there? Definitely um, Navajo blue corn, you know, it's one of the traditional corn in the Southwest, um, steam corn, you know, the regular um, uh, Navajo corn for sure. And, and kusha squash, you know, definitely it's one of the squash of the Southwest, you know, and different types of watermelon for sure. You know, I had seeds of watermelon from the Iroquois tribe, you know, and just planting these different uh, regional food, you know, and having, um, having a, a cafe for sure, you know, having, uh, um, you know, someone run a cafe with, um, the term of um, land to garden, you know, and then um, and the garden to table, you know. So just learning the, those type of ways, definitely what I try and envision as a chef because within the next four to five years, you know, I'm going to stop traveling, you know, and I want to be grounded in one place, you know, and it might be here in the Twin Cities, you know, or it might be back home in my hometown, you know. So it's just one of the long runs that I'm looking at as well and trying to push a campaign to start with that type of project. In in which place do you feel like you'll be able to do the most good in the long run? Definitely my my hometown, you know, definitely, you know, giving back to the community. You know, growing up, I, I was a negative kid. You know, I, I did a lot of negative stuff in my community, influencing the, the next generation in a negative way, you know, and bringing that into the city of Phoenix, you know, and growing up in that type of uh, gang activity and you know, stealing cars and chop shops, you know, getting shot at or getting stabbed, you know living that lifestyle and I switched that moving here to moving here to the Twin Cities in 2011, 2012, you know, and that was in my mid um, twenties, you know, and that was interesting because I never thought I would change my life. And it's not just that cooking saved my life, but it's also my, my fiance, you know, getting the ultimatum of being a serious relationship or moving on, you know, so definitely those two helped me. And, you know, and to this day it's just giving back to my community and, not forgetting where, where I'm coming from. What was it about food that inspired you to, to change things? Um, it was out of curiosity and, and comfort for me. Um, the curiosity of seeing what my mom's doing in the kitchen, you know, uh, and the comfort is um, learning, you know, the comfort food of the family, what, what family, what my family loved growing up, you know, being, for me being the youngest out of eight siblings at the age of seven, you know, I was helping my mom in the kitchen. You know, one day she came home working a 12-hour shift, you know, and instead of coming home to relax, you know, she would go straight into the kitchen. And one day, you know, the, the knife tapping on the cutting board and the, the aromatics and the stew, you know, that's, that what, that's what brought me to the kitchen. And at that age, I wasn't old enough to use a knife, you know, so I was 
um, mixing the soup or making salad or doing the dishes, you know, just finding ways to help my mom. And your grandmother was a forager. Yes, she was one of the, um, from what I know and understand, she's one of the last uh, person in my family who um, did traditional foraging. You know, and I have one of my aunties, one of my older aunties, um, she's also a medicine woman, but she's no, lo- no longer foraging. You know, she's um, at that age to where, you know, she, she can collect medicine and work th- with that, but she, she can no longer be out in the landscape. You know, but traditionally, my grandma was the last um, person that I know of. You know, I remember her um, foraging um, for lamb's quarters or wild spinach or even wild onions, you know, just learning these different areas in the community of where to, where to forage. And you've sort of picked up that mantle of starting your own foraging practices. Yeah, it wasn't until 2013, I would say, when I was in culinary school. You know, I started focusing more on, a, on indigenous food and started um, having those glimpses of memory of my childhood years. You know, and, and that's how I, you know, the glimpse and the memory of what um, or how I helped my mom in the age of seven. That's something that just came to me in culinary school, you know, and also thinking of my grandma and just to confirm that, talking to my mom and my aunties, you know, and, you know, sure enough, this, the story adds up to it, you know. So Awakening Call for me was definitely around 2013 in culinary school. I know you've taken it upon yourself to really start protecting the elders during this pandemic. You've been feeding people in Minnesota and raising money for people back home in Arizona. I wonder how much of that is because of a, of a need and a desire to protect their their knowledge and what they know and to protect the traditions they can, they can pass down. We all know elderly people are vulnerable to COVID-19. Um, and if, if they get sick, what's, what's lost is, is more than just... Um, you know, a person, it's an entire system of stories and, and culture and inability to pass things down through the generations. Sure. I mean, realistically, if you look at the, the surveys and the statistics of um, um, tribes in North America, Canada and Alaska, you know, there's about 65% of tribes who are in danger of losing their languages, you know, and, and the Twin Cities is, is, is a mega for um, diverse tribes. You know, you have so many tribes from across North America, Canada, Alaska, down to South America, you know, and having the, the community that we're serving today, you know, having that one of, to be one of the hotspots in the Twin Cities is, is definitely dangerous, you know, but, you know, putting yourself on, on the front line, you know, it's just something that I decided to do, but taking every precaution as I can, for sure. You know, I took a, like a two, two week, um, um, quarantine at home you know just making sure i don't have any type of symptoms and once that you know once i was cleared you know i went and i'm con- connected with a friend of mine ben shindu who's the um executive chef at um gatherings cafe and you know he connected me with the uh, director of the indian center and uh, we had a meeting and we, we had a startup project you know startup funding from um, blue cross blue shield minnesota you know and that's how we took off from um supplying the elderly in south minneapolis then north and now we expanded to um, the St. Paul area, you know, and, and that, that's connecting with more organizations, you know, organizations like um, World Central Kitchen, for example. You know, they reach out to me through social media, you know, and, and I met um, Nate Mook in um, 2008, I believe. No, 2018 at um, Mad6 Symposium in, in uh, Copenhagen. You know, so connecting with him, getting some type of support from, from the work that they do, you know, so that, that's keeping us going to this day with um, working at the Indian Center. You know, and also receiving some funding through through our PayPal to cover some of the supplies that, that they're not able to provide. 
you know, it, it is definitely, um, you know, a lot of work in, working in the community, but it's just the type of work that I, uh, I love to do, you know. Tell me about what you're, what you're cooking. Tell me about who you're feeding. Yeah, so right now we're feeding about just below 200 elders uh, five days a week, and we're only doing lunches. And see, the last meal that we had, I would probably say venison tacos. You know, we have one of the local hunters drop off uh, some wild game meat, you know, every chance, you know, they're, they're, or they're available to do so. So recently we got some venison. We ended up using that for tacos. You know, we did traditional cilantro, onions. We added some wild rice, you know, and we um, stewed some uh, tomatoes to put on top. I mean, Minnesota hot. <laughs> so, no, Minnesota can't eat a lot of um, spicy food. So we got to try to do an alternative on um, salsa, you know, even doing pico de gallo without, you know, jalapenos. You know, definitely. But it's something the, um, the elders love. And we serve a couple of uh, nursing homes, you know, and in rotation, they would send us a banner of thank you notes. And, you know, it's something beautiful to see, you know. And But it's just not what we're actually out there for, you know, for the recognition of the ego. You know, we're just out there. You know, staying connected to our roots and making sure elders survive another year, you know, especially with the language that they're able to provide for um, the grandkids. And are you connecting with any of these people in person? Are you dropping off the food? Um, so logistically, we're, um, we are mainly in the kitchen. You know, we don't want to expose ourselves like that. So we have volunteer drivers who are able to, to, to take care of that part. So we have different um, positions that we work to make this possible for sure. So, yeah, our focus is in the kitchen, you know, um, six days a week. You know, right now we have about a team of um, seven, I believe. You know, we're all from different tribes as well. And tell me about how you're connecting with people back home in Arizona, what kind of stories you're hearing. Yeah, so living in a, you know, coming from a rural area on the reservation, it's hard to receive water and even food, you know, necessities. So, you know, hearing those type of stories on social media, you know, and knowing that there's grassroots organiza- organizations doing what they can to, to supply the tribe, you know, aside from the, the, the tribal officials, you know, trying to fill in any gap as possible. You know, it's definitely um, a lot of um, um, sad information lately, but at the same time, you know, I'm looking at the, uh, the good side of how, you know, we have some, some border town youths, uh, kids that are raising, um, you know, um, chickens and, and pigs and you know and that's one of the stories that i heard where an organization will be providing some of these meats to um to the tribe you know but then that's also taking every precaution that's possible not, not to get anyone sick you know and you know having kids having the youth work and do something like that is beautiful you're doing some online cooking demos too tell me about uh spreading you know culture through food during covid19 do you feel like you have more of a captive audience do you feel like people are kind of willing to learn because they're homebound and and just kind of looking for information how are you connecting with people in that way definitely i um i started my youtube channel in um 2016 when the year i graduated and just a friend of mine michael jimbley he helped me create the content you know just a, a promo of um talking about the catering and the work that I will be doing, you know, as a small business owner, you know, and I, I forgot about my, my, my channel until last year in November, you know, I, um, I realized that traveling for a couple of years that I had to turn down so many projects due to the lack of funding that tribal communities have, you know, for, for an average, um, cost to, to fly a person out and to cover their, um, their rental if it's on a, on a reservation, you know, then covering their, their services, and covering their, their food costs, you know, all that can add up to an average of 1500 you know, so and a lot of tribes can't afford that. So, 
know, uh, one day I was sitting, you know, sitting down on my on my bed on my bed and thinking of like, you know, what, you know, how can I help supply? You know, putting out recipe books or um, um, pamphlets or something, you know. But then I remember that I had a, a YouTube channel, <laughs> so I went up in my channel um, in November last year and I started putting out contents. You know, just easy, simple made recipes that people definitely would have within their pantry, you know. And some of those videos took off during this pandemic now, you know, <laughs> yeah, people, like you said, people are at home, you know, they're bored, they want to do something, you know, so, and, and I started connecting with a couple of native organizations and I'm, for example, let's say I'm a health service in Southern California who are, I'm doing a, a 10 video series for like three to five minute video clips of um, no recipes, you know, and, and um, so it's one of the projects that I'm working on doing the virtual cooking and um, virtual learning. So you're figuring it out. You're figuring out how to make ends meet during this during this crisis while your events are canceled. Yeah, for sure. Um, last year, I would say beginning of um, last year, I was actually looking into doing virtual cooking, and I put up a couple of promos on my social media, you know, and you know, asking people, you know, if you're interested in um, a private cooking session or if you have a group, uh, a class, you want to do some type of indigenous food, you know. So I started um, promoting that. You know, and I, I got probably about three um, virtual cooking classes last year, you know, and and compared to this year now, you know, it's more than a dozen. And it's just something that I already had in mind that I can adapt to, you know, if, you know, if I'm not traveling anymore, you know, but it was something that I was looking at in the long run, you know, but it wasn't something that I would start now, you know, but it's the, the way things worked out for sure. Where's the first place you're going to go when, when it's clear to travel again? Um, I would say Arizona. Yeah. I would say to visit my community and then my family in, in Phoenix as well, you know, in the Southwest for sure. Sounds like important work to get back, to get <laughs> back home and to, you know, work on food security and work on, you know, running things like running water. I know one of the reasons COVID's so rampant there is, is because I think 30 to 40% of the people don't have running water, you know, during a time when hand washing is, is so critical. So there's infrastructural things that relate to food ways that are really important. Yeah. I mean, especially with my community, though, there's still a battle of uh, uranium mines in the area. So, you know, there's, there's, there's different areas where you can get water, you know, from the landscape, but at the same time, it's contaminated, you know, so you get the lab, the livestock can't even drink that, you know, so it's definitely a must to help them bring in water as much as possible. And that's one of the things that we're working on, you know, I have my, um, my relative and a community member, community members who are traveling to the reservation from uh, Phoenix, Arizona right now, you know, ready to deliver some, um, some boxes to families. Where can people find you online? How can people donate to help? For sure. Um, I go by Yazi the Chef on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, and the um the project I'm a part of is uh the Nahotso Families Coed Relief Project. And you can find that on, on Facebook. You know, and there's also a GoFundMe account as well. So you were saying you have some family members driving down from Phoenix right now? Yeah. Yeah. So they're um uh, preparing and to do deliveries tomorrow. So we have some hygiene products. We have um, face masks. We have some um, hand sanitizers. You know, we have some of the basic food staples like potatoes, um, corn, beans, squash, you know, and a couple of um, highly processed ingredients. You know, with supplying families, we're trying to keep that comfort food as healthy, you know, and not just supply highly processed ingredients. You know, so we're, we're, we're trying to um, 
provide in a healthy way for sure. If you could cook for your uh, your nation, if you could cook for the Navajo Nation tomorrow, what would you make? <laughs> right now, I would say what's in season. Um, I would do uh, rants, wild onions, you know, and um, and carrots for sure. And uh, one of the big food staples in the Southwest, especially with the Navajos, uh, mutton, lamb. You know, I would do lamb, but I'll probably do goat. You know, something more more intense flavoring for me, and um, blue corn mush for sure. You know, and just not a typical blue corn mush, but there's there's a one of the traditional soups that we have is made out of blue corn mush. You know, so that the liquid, the soup is a bit blue or grayish. It doesn't sound too appetizing, but it has um, the wild onions, some potatoes, carrots, and and lamb. You know, just slowly cooked for hours. You know, and that 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 blue corn liquid. You know, the the infusion of um probably um um from the ranch and also uh, sumac berries as well. So I think that's one of the dish that I would make. You know, it's, they, even during the summertime, you know, people love to eat soup, especially if it's um, goat or mine. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Is there a, a blessing for abundance and for food? There is, you know, just um, traditionally, you know, you would, um, you, you would do blessing before, um, before every meal. You know, it's just, um, but then having ceremony, for example, having someone come back to the community that had been away for so many years. You know, for there are ceremonies for that as well. There's also ceremonies for people who are providing, you know, seed packets, you know, as following that ancestral route ceremony type, you know. So just so, yeah, there's definitely different ways of blessing the ceremonies. Is there revolves around food. Is there a, a particular food blessing you can share? I think we could all use a, a blessing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the food blessings would be um, corn pollen. You know, just, just, just to share a story about that. You know, when you get that pollination going and you get that powder on top of the ear, the corn, you know, that's something that that's collected from from the grandmas and aunties, you know, especially from the kids. And that's something that you'd use um, to, to, to bless to the East, and especially with my tribe, you know, our, our um, ancestral um, stories, you know, is coming from the East, you know, and just different types of world coming about that. But um, corn is one of our, our sacred um, our sacred ingredient. It's not just something to pray with, but it's nutritional for sure, you know, and just to share a little story, you know, a chef friend of mine told me the story and, and just realizing that, you know, it, how, how true is it, you know, is that, um, uh, for example, talking about corn, blue corn is one of our traditional foods. So as an infant becoming a toddler, you know, you're going from liquid diet to solid diet and you have that corn mush that's in between, you know, so just similar to like banana pudding, you know, so you have that corn mush that you're eating as, as an infant becoming a toddler and it's that circle of life. So uh, as an elder, you know, returning to the spirit world, you're going from solid diet to, to liquid diet again, you know, and then having that corn mush in between and traditionally for Navajo, you know, that's something that you can definitely have before you know, going to liquid diet again. So the, I think that's one of the blessings that I can, I can share with the, some protocols, you know, but it's just, um, I, just, I shared at the circle of life with how corn is important to the Southwest tribes. I love the fact that the food itself is, is the blessing. It's, it's part of the ceremony and it, it, it's the blessing itself. I think that's a really important thing to remember. Brian, our show's called Takeaway Only. What's your big takeaway from being a Native American chef during this time? Uh, resiliency, you know, uh, motivation, you know, taking away some of those um, um, eagerness of how the chef is supposed to be in the kitchen, the dismantling the patriarch 
you know, in the, in the kitchen and working with the balance of women and men in the kitchen, you know, not having that ha um, high anarchy, you know, it's just having that balance of knowing you know, we have different positions and keeping that balance. You know, I, I think it's one of my takeaways is teaching at the kitchen that we are in now, you know, and having, you know, the females and having the males rotate with menus of who's in charge of this day or who's in charge of the desserts, you know, just, I think it's that blessing of, um, for sure. Build a harmonious kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Brian, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and appreciate your work. Thank you for having me. That was Brian Yazzie. You can follow him on Instagram and learn more about his relief efforts at Yazzie the Chef. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepholes. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community-building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.